Welcome to the Personal Equity Podcast, where we discuss investing in yourself and building personal equity. We take a deep dive with our guests into their stories, careers, and lives from both a personal and financial perspective. I'm your host, Mike Troxel. Today, we'll be speaking with Phil Seibel, who is a principal at Collaborative Planning Group. In our conversation, we covered his transition from the Boston Red Sox into the insurance world. The links and information in the episode can be found at personalequitypodcast.com. Hi, Phil. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Looking forward to this. Absolutely. So I would love to start with today, if you could give listeners just a general idea of where you are now and uh, what you're up to. Sure. Um, so I am a principal at Collaborative Planning Group. We are an insurance um, firm based in Omaha, but I live in Austin, Texas, and we support mostly fee-only financial advisors with insurance solutions. Um, we've been doing it for, oh, geez, uh, my partners and I have been doing it for over 10 years now. Uh, with working with advisors across the country. Um, so uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun way to be able to help clients and, and advisors. I love that. And I, I want to learn more about the business and and, uh, and talk to you more about that. But you mentioned Austin, Texas, and it seems like that is just the place to move these days. So what's the, uh, what is the tie to Austin? What led you there? Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I got here, I feel like, I, I grew up in Southern California, and so I know here in Texas, uh, some of the Texans are getting frustrated with all those California people moving out here, um, especially Austin with all the tech business and everybody moving out here. But for me, I got out here, I would say before all of that, uh, a little over 20 years ago now, I was uh, recruited out here to play baseball at the University of Texas um, with a left-handed pitcher there. And that originally got me here. Uh, my parents fell in love with the town as well. So did my brother. And before I knew it, my whole family was here. I was a junior in college. And so it was great to have them be a part of that. Um, and then um, as luck would have it, I, I was drafted professionally uh, to play baseball um, in the minor leagues. Uh, so I did that for about seven years, played the major leagues a little bit with Boston, but I always uh, saw Austin as home and always went back there. Um, and so it was, this is where my family is. And it just happens to be a great place to live at the same time. Beautiful. So it's safe to say your uh, your parents and your brother were satisfied with your uh, college choice if they decided to move there as well. Yes, um, I remember. This was the only uh, recruiting trip my parents went on with me uh, was here, and I, they told me on the recruiting trip. My dad looked at me and said, "It was my choice. This is where I'm going to school." And and I had some great opportunities in some great schools across the country, but uh, I think even they were sold on the town when we were out here on our on the recruiting visit yep i mean i i imagine it would be tough to turn down something like that you know texas university of texas is one of those schools that they're the brand is so strong that it's it's tough to not like it's almost like a you know a michigan or you know michigan texas some of these other big schools where uh if they if they want you to come to school and they're going to help uh pay for it why not right Exactly. It, it it was really difficult to turn down, um, especially when you I, you grew up in Southern California. It's not that there's not great programs at the USC, UCLA, um, even like a Cal State Fullerton. They were great programs, and, and there was nothing wrong with them. But 
when you came out here to the University of Texas and anywhere in the South with baseball, especially, and they tell you, well, we had 4,000 fans to show up to watch a college baseball game. And this is, you know, these are the things that we do. And, and this is what it's like to play in this conference, playing at A&M and getting to play against the SEC, even though we're not in the same conference, but we always schedule those opponents on, on off weeks. I, it was hard for me to not look at that and go, holy cow, this is a different experience coming from Southern California where it just the rivalries are strong out there. It's just not as much of a fanfare to them because they, they, there's so many things to do in California that it's hard for them to draw the way that they do in the South. Yep, no, completely understand. Before we started recording, I did give folks a little bit of background on your on yourself, but I want to jump back to collaborative a little bit. And you know, I'm a big fan of you, a big fan of the f- firm. You give me and my clients a ton of support. Um, one of the best resources I have in any um, in any part of the business. You know, not not just insurance. You're by far my number one insurance resource. So, how did you? Um, how did you get into the insurance insurance business? That's a great question. It's it's your. I'll tell my story, and then it'll be pretty clear because it's you know the insurance business is for a lot of people, right? It, it's family based. Um, you 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 have a family member that's in it or around it. Not a lot of people coming out of college go. I want to get into the insurance business. That sounds like fun. Um, it's uh, but so for me. My father has been in the business for over 40 years. He started on the hospital side and ended up, um, when we were living out in California, ended up running an insurance carrier out there. And so we were always around it. Um, with the family's been involved in it. And when I got done playing baseball, um, I was fortunate to get fortunate enough to get hired by a firm because I was looking at insurance and my dad was consulting me and helped me think about if I wanted to get into it, what my role could be in the business. And just because of what I was, I did as a profession before I got into it, all the relationships and contacts I had across the country, I just had an, a unique opportunity. And a firm hired me uh, with basically no training and took a chance on me because I had a Rolodex. They were they had a multifamily office that dealt with athletes and specifically baseball players. And so they hired me to say, look, you have a Rolodex that is very appealing to us. You have a feeling around insurance. We'd love to train you up on planning if you wouldn't mind sharing that Rolodex with us. So it was a tit for tat relationship, very clear from the beginning. And that was my entry into the business and did that for a little while, had a lot of fun, but my conflict started to show up as we started to grow the practice around all of the services being in-house and that I didn't feel like we were doing anything wrong. It just something was tugging at me that it didn't feel right just because I was afraid of things like groupthink and us not providing holistic solutions because all the tax planning, investment planning, financial planning, and insurance planning was done under one roof. I didn't feel like we were getting maybe ideas outside of our office. And so at that point, um, merged into a cons- an insurance consulting firm in Arizona. That That's all they did is they worked with advisors across the country into and help them with insurance planning. So we, and in that firm, we dealt with a lot of bank type business and large clients. It was a great learning experience. Um, But that's when I started to discover the fee only firms and looking at ways to help those. And that kind of was my um, aha moment, uh, so to speak, when I was at that firm. And it took me about seven years to kind of build out the business plan. and, um, and, And now I'm here today. 
So how does that differ from a traditional insurance company? Like, so right now you're partnering with a lot of advisors being a resource for their clients and they're, um, they're bringing clients to you versus before, was it more uh, cold calling or door to door or what, what's the primary difference there? Yeah, I would say the biggest difference in ours is, is yes, we do work directly with the clients because, you know, we're the subject matter experts when it comes to implementing life, long-term care, disability. But a lot of our relationship starts at the B2B level. So we're a firm looking to engage with another firm, a firm like yourself, um, where in the previous life, when I started this, I was going directly at the consumer. So be it an athlete or a friend or a family or whatever, I was trying to engage them directly for our services. And it's, it's, that's the way a lot of the insurance business is built. And it's a great model. It's worked for years, but in our world, especially in the evolution of the financial advisor with this fee only um, thought process taking over and that being the fiduciary in the client's relationship and the fact that we get commissions making it very difficult for us to be a fiduciary. Now we can act like a fiduciary, but it's very difficult for us to be that fiduciary because we always have commissions taking over our head that could conflict our decision making. What I started to notice was the fact that if you work with the fiduciary for the client who is in there, you're always looking out for their best interest and then you're providing that solution, it is definitely more of a B2B relationship. And so what you have to perform there is a level of service. And I'm not saying other insurance professionals don't do that. There's a lot of them that I run across that do a great job of that. However, I believe our model is solely built around that service to the financial advisory firm, regardless of sale. And in the traditional model, they're living and dying off every client they engaged. I mean, the, the, all the adage of the, you know, approach 10 prospects, three get serious, one buy is very real in that world. However, in our world, we're working with a firm and if they bring us in to consult on their client, we know pretty quickly if there's a sale or if it's a consultative approach to it. And it's pretty clear from the outset. So there's no mixed agendas in that engagement. Um, to me, it's, it's more fun um, because you're, you're peer to peer, you're throwing out ideas, you're having fun in the engagement, trying to help clients, trying to help the advisor and not too worried about, man, is this one going to be a big sale? Is this going to be a small or is this going to be sale at all? And, and it eliminates that because, you know, from the very beginning where your where your motives are supposed to be. Yep. I have so many uh, I have so many questions, but so I'll try to sort of pick, pick and choose here. So it sounds like when you enter the business they were really attracted towards your, you know, relationships or potential relationships. But, you know, I've known you for about a year now and I lean on you as like, you are a subject matter expert. You have a lot of technical expertise. And I know it's a, you know, it's, it can be a challenging business. There's so many different nuances and laws. How did you make that jump from, okay, I'm the relationship guy to now I, you know, you might not know everything, but you know, at least in my eyes, you know a lot. I appreciate you saying that because um, I, I will be vulnerable in saying like, I feel like there's always so much to learn. And just like anybody in this in this world, right, where it's tax planning, financial planning, there's so much to know. It can be overwhelming to, to learn all this. I, I This transition obviously takes time. It, 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 it can't be done right away. It takes a lot of experience. 
Um, and I jumped in with two feet. I mean, I, the good news is I had my father as a mentor helping steer me of pay attention to this. Don't pay attention to that. Um, so he was guiding me a little, giving me bumpers of where maybe priorities should lie, which is always great. And then I had great mentors and friends that were allowing me to go along with, go along on the ride with him, even down to the first firm that hired me that started teaching me financial planning. So I started, even though I was on the insurance side, I started learning probably financial planning first and figured out how insurance could fit or not fit in a scenario. And then went to the products and said, okay, how do we make that product fit this plan? Or are there any products that fit this plan so that we can tell the client we've got to do it through planning and not through insurance? Then on top of that, and just like anything else, reading all the books that you can get your hands on. I remember the uh, Essentials of Estate Planning book that I, it was 400 pages long that I started going through when I was, for the first time, learning about grats and eyelids and flats and everything like that. And, like, and it was all Greek to me, uh, trying to figure it all out. All the way through, I've done all the CFP courses um, without taking the exam, but just did all the courses just so that I had a feel and an understanding of what that CFP engaged me what their thought process would be like and how they would probably approach a client and where just trying to walk a mile in their shoes to understand it because we don't manage money. We don't do all the financial planning. We're here for that. So it, but it was extremely important for me to make sure I had a foundation of understanding, including, and I'm just, you know, all these things are just coming back to me. I remember going out to DFA and sneaking my way into an invitation to do a foundations conference where I got to learn about their methodology, even though I wasn't doing it. Again, I felt it was important to understand the culture around advisors who use DFA and why they would choose DFA. And I know that goes into so many different avenues now, but I felt like that was such a big theme that I heard in working with these advisors that I was like, I, I guess I have to learn this. I have to understand it, at least appreciate it. I don't need to you know, know it inside and out, but at least appreciate it. Okay, you're dropping too many really good nuggets here. Uh, my, 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 my brain is going all over the place. Uh, first of all, that book sounds incredibly boring. Uh, the Essentials of Estate Planning, 400 pages. Wow. Um, yeah, it is. So, so next, the, you know, the theme of this, right, is sort of, it is making investments in yourselves and I, in ourselves or yourself. And I know, I don't know how many insurance folks there are in the country, but I would guess tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. But the number of insurance people, agents that work with advisors that have taken, that read that book, that have taken all of the CFP courses and went into a DFA conference. Uh, I mean, you tell me, I don't, I don't think there's many. I, I, I certainly don't. I can't answer that like concretely. I don't know if there are many. I, I don't usually bump into another insurance professional at any of those worlds. Um, but to me, it was, I got real bullish um, at the, my previous firm, um, you know, when I was learning all this stuff and, and they looked at me like I was crazy, um, but I was on my own dime. And yeah, they paid for a little bit of it, but a lot of it was on my own dime, meaning time and, you know, unfortunately, credit card, right? It's like anything, you're starting your own business. You you, you put the, some things on your credit card or advance or get a loan um, just to, because you're betting on yourself for that, for that very reason. And I know it could, it, there was a chance it wasn't going to work, but 
to me, the more I got into it, the more I started seeing this path and this way of doing it. And I know there's a ton of other ways for people to get this business done. There are so many different insurance professionals that I met across the country that have their own niche and they're really, really good at it. This was mine. And for me to be able to give quality advice and to be able to work in that manner, it, it was extremely important. I'm sure there are others that are doing it. Um, I, again, don't really run into a whole lot of them, but to me, it, it just made all the sense in the world. Wow. So, you know, you mentioned betting on yourself, making these big investments on your own dime. So rewinding over the last 10 years, were there any low points or major hurdles or moments of, of doubt where you thought, okay, maybe this isn't going to work out, or maybe I need to think about a different industry or a different business? And at the same time, when did, when did you know? I, yeah, there, there's always low points. It's never easy. It's never this simple, right? Anybody, um, and I don't have anything like, I, I, I have a path, right? And, I, and I'm making the amount of money to take care of my family. Um, there's not, there still are points in it. We're like, oof, this is going to be tight. Um, hopefully these things work out because we made this, you know, push and it's not quite there yet. It's just like anything in a business. Um, but definitely, um, at my previous firm, when I was starting to really push hard on this model, um, I had a partner there. It was him and I, we went out and did everything as a tandem. Um, the ownership of the firm didn't see the same vision and they, really were focused on really large insurance cases. And it, they're a great firm. They did great work. But the model I was going down was not jumbo case work. It was good, solid clients, good earning, well-earning clients. But there was not those huge pops that come in the insurance world that the firm I was working for really wanted us to have. And so there was a lot of moments where they were pulling us in and telling us, we don't know if this is going to work. We don't know if you guys are the right fit. And, and, you know, just not in a polite way, basically telling us we don't like this. Um, and so there were a lot of moments that we, my partner and I sat there and looked at each other and said, I don't know. And, but for me, I, the validation came as the more advisors I work with, as I started to go to more conferences and for NAPFA and XY and meeting more advisors who, who kept saying, this story resonates. I'd like to engage you more. And so for me, it was just around, okay, we just got to find a way to make this model work. Ultimately, I ended up leaving that firm because it just didn't fit their model. And that's okay. I but I was convinced this model was going to work. And I found, you know, Erica, the CEO of Collaborative, it's a good friend of mine. We'd known each other for years and had talked a lot of strategy and, and brainstormed together. Ultimately, we just decided that it would just make sense for us to partner up on this. Um, so, yeah, but that, oh, man, my, I remember sitting down with my wife um, and then one more story uh, with my wife. When we were at the other firm in Arizona, um, when I was living out there for a, a period of time, um, there was a moment where the firm was really struggling and we had a, a mixed balance between salary and, and variable compensation, depending on the, the work that you brought in, uh, where we all had to take salary hits um, to keep staff on because we were at a low point and cases weren't coming through and we were getting certain things done. And, and I remember having to come home to my wife and say, um, for the next few months, um, I'm not going to get paid. Um, this much, I'm going to get paid this much. And, and I think we'll be okay, but I don't know. And 
you know, she was great. She looked at me with confidence, you know, saying, you guys, you can figure this out. You'll be fine. Um, this is, this is part of the business, but that was another low point. Um, having a, and it's, it's, it's not fun to come home to the person you love the most and share your, um, you know, secrets with and, and share your vision with and who understands you to come home and say, Hey, sweetheart, I'm sorry. Um, I, I'm not going to be able to fulfill my end of the bargain for a period of time here. And, and we're doing our best to get it fixed, but I don't know when it's going to turn around. Um, so there were definitely some moments. Um, but, and I don't ever want to go through them again. Um, but they have built this foundation to where I am today. So I'd never want to remove them from my memory at the same time. So you mentioned um, a few different times. You said the first firm you worked for, they, they took a chance on you. And you also mentioned over the last you know, five, 10 years, you've had a lot of friends and mentors and your father that have helped you. And you've also mentioned your wife and how you know supportive she's been. So sort of summing that up, you know, what role has all of these people played in your life and in, in your journey, especially these last 10, 15 years? Just like anything, I, I feel like it, I, 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 well, I grew up in team sports. And so, you know, coming up through that culture and relying on teammates to help because everybody has a role in, in getting to uh, the next level, winning a baseball game to winning a championship to reaching the pinnacle. Um, I grew up in that culture. And so I've always looked at the team surrounding me, whether it's inside the company I'm working with and working for or, or partnering with to the people that I'm support that are supporting me on the outside of that to help motivate me and keep me going. I owe a lot to, uh, my, again, friends, mentors, um, teammates, um, you know, em employees that we work at the same company, you know, I, there's no way I could get it done. I, I really appreciate you saying my technical abilities. I, that is awesome to hear, but I, I'll be honest. I know that there are components of planning that some of my um, coworkers at Collaborative Planning Group know better than I do. And I love bringing them in on scenarios. And so it's, it's the ability to trust in those people and rely on them to help with all that so that you don't feel this overwhelming um, anxiety to have to know it all. Um, I think that's great. And then People outside of the company, whether it's my wife um, and or my father, um, I've got you know friends like Dan Allison, who some people may or may not know. He's a consultant for firms, um, financial advisory firms. He is a public speaker, and he has been a great coach and mentor to me about just life and this business and things. And we've been friends for years now. Um, those people around you know, around me to help me through any time I'm in a low point or I'm struggling or having a hard time figuring something out. It's been immensely powerful for me. Um, and I've also, you know, sought more of those people out and surrounding myself with them because I feel like they always lift me up. So I really like people who challenge me, um, but also lift me up at the same time. You know, they're not afraid to say, Hey, you might want to second guess this just because of these reasons and ferret this out some more. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just help you, helping me look at things from different angles, but also at the same time saying, you got this, keep going. Because there are points where you're tired or you're frustrated or you just want to take a break and you kind of need that every once in a while. Great answer. I love that. 
So you mentioned a collaborative planning group a, a couple of times, and I feel like I under, understand the firm pretty well. But for anyone else out there listening or any other advisors, um, I'd love it if you could sort of highlight a little bit about the firm as far as um, how many different people are there and maybe the different areas of expertise you have. And then after that, I'd love uh, to dive in maybe a couple specific examples. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so Collaborative Planning Group, as I mentioned, you know, we're an insurance consulting firm. Um, we, we do get paid to place product. Um, we do not charge a fee for our services, um, but we focus on uh, life insurance, disability insurance, long-term care insurance, um, small group benefits, so a small uh, company group benefits when I say that, um, and then we do help with annuity planning. Our whole approach and goal is to be a consultant first and support the advisor in the client's plan and help them come to realization of whether or not insurance fits. And if it does fit, what is the best fit for that? And then if it so works out that um, something we provide is that solution, that's how we get paid. If it's not, then we bet on the relationship with that advisor that for every 10 cases they're gonna bring to us, four or five or six of those will be opportunities for us to sell a policy and, and, and earn a commission. We know that in that engagement, in that relationship, we will do work for free. But for us, it's about building up that trust and building up that rapport so that when we do make the we do complete the analysis and say, this is the best you're going to get. This is what we recommend. You stay with this horse and here's how you do it. That that's, that's going to be okay for us because the advisor in most of our relationships, the advisor trusts our opinion. And when we say, Hey, this, our recommendation is to, in, institute this policy type that we're not just trying to sell a client something at the end of the day. Um, and so that, that's a big component of our firm. Um, so we have subject matter experts around all of those on um, the disability, long-term care, life insurance, whether it's term or, or permanent insurance, which can be called whole life um, and in the annuity side of the house. Um, I'm sorry. We asked how many people too. Um, we have 12. We have 12 members of the team. And is most of the team remote or, or is most of the team based in Omaha? Most of the team is based in Omaha. Our, that's our that's our brain center. Um, so that's where all the internal staff is and, and external because Erica is, you know, the CEO of the company. That's where she lives. Um, but we centralize all of the internal stuff because we that's hard to pull off remote. Um, and so it at back of the home office is where, you know, we're doing all the stuff to, to work on getting information or quotes on all the different various product types. The remote people, there's three of us that are remote and we're forward facing advisors. So, you know, I'm here in Austin. We have an advisor in Cincinnati and we have a new advisor in Louisville, Kentucky um, for various reasons. One, that's where we live, but also it also spreads us out a little more geographically um, just because we do outside of what's going on with COVID, we do tend to travel a little bit to see some of the firms that we work with and it just helps to have a spread out a little bit. So it's easier for us to get to firms if we need to get out to the West coast or even the East coast. And I may be repeating myself, but you, you specifically, I mean, you've been a, an amazing resource again, not just technically, but uh, a lot of the soft stuff too, as far as, you know, you guys are responsive. Um, you understand that clients are not a perfect little box where, you know, you, you 
you're happy to have a discussion about a client with without all of the information, right? And and sometimes conversations need to happen quicker. Um, you know, not everything again can be perfect and in order and and discussed three weeks out, right? Uh, sometimes it's hey, something came up, we got to chat in the next day or two, and it seems like you're always if you're not available, you're you try your best, you know, with an email or something. I remember one time we were on the phone. I think you called me. It might have been a Friday afternoon, Texas time. And I think you might have been outside, like helping your uh, one of your children, maybe your daughter on like ride her bike or something. Um, and so, you know, something like that, you know, you could look at it in two ways, right? One is, oh, this person's unprofessional. What are they doing? But, you know, the, in reality and how I look at it is like, wow, this person is just, committed to helping people and helping their partners. Um, and, you know, I, and I try to do that for my clients as well. So that's, uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm a, I'm a big fan of you and, and your firm. I, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. It's, I, 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 I just appreciate you saying that because it, it's difficult, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we're in the service business, all of us. And I think there's rapport that's built up between advisors um, you know, whether you're working with an attorney or a CPA or insurance or wh- whatever it is, where you see s- things in a similar manner. Um, I, I think there's a reason why I feel like you and I have clicked over the past years because I feel like you look at things the same way is, is serve the client. Um, whether or not you have all the answers, you, you know, or the perfect answer that's irrelevant. It's more around, I'm here for you. I'm going to tell you if I don't have it yet. And if here's how long I need to go get that answer. Um, and hopefully it fits within the timeline. Sometimes it won't because something's a hair on fire and we're going to do the best we can to get to that. Um, but at the end of the day, serving clients is, is what we're here to do and serving advisors and it, it'll never be perfect. Uh, but we're going to do it the best way we know how. Um, and you just like you mentioned, yeah, I, I remember that call. We were, I was helping my oldest daughter learn how to ride her bike and, um, you had a few quick questions around a client that uh, their group benefits and yeah, happy to jump on a call real quick um, and go through that. Cause it'll take a few minutes to just go through it. And then I can go back to help my daughter and um, everything will be fine. You mentioned uh, something that made me think as far as, you know, in the advisory space, there's a lot of conversation around fee models and fee structures. And is there any conversations about that in the insurance space? Like for example, you're obviously a great resource to so many firms, but you know I I would imagine there'd be a market for these firms to even pay you and collaborative almost like a a retainer fee or something to to be that resource. Is that something that exists or that you guys have considered? You know, it's funny. Um, we have looked at it. it. It's it's difficult because. Um, one firm that, you know, that is in the annuity space is is doing that. They're charging a fee for for advisors to engage. Um, and it seems to be going okay. Um, but the cha- and it makes sense on certain levels, right? It, it helps eliminate the need for sale to be hopefully true to all recommendations. And, and that part makes sense. But on the flip side, you're now asking somebody to pay you where a lot of people are doing it for free. Um, including ourselves at this point. And so that's a difficult um, transition to go through from a firm perspective. 
I think the other thing that makes it difficult is because there are commissions attached to our products. And so we do know that if we do sell something, we do get paid in that manner. Um, I, you know, especially on the life, long-term care and disability side. I know on the annuity side, there are some fee-based options available that make that conversation, I think, a little bit easier. But because of the commissions, it is difficult. Now, the carriers are working on some potential products that are more fee-based on the life insurance side. I know TIA had it, but of course, they're out of the market now. I think there's some other ones looking at it, but the challenge with life insurance and charging fees and it's just the cost of insurance is always increasing on those products. And again, it's a difficult game for the carriers to play. And so it doesn't mean that they won't figure it out. It doesn't mean that we don't want to have that solution. It just is, it's hard. It's difficult to find that solution. Um, So Dusted, um, candidly, the only time we charge a fee for our service is if there is a trust and they need a fiduciary audit of a policy. And so we charge a fee so that the trust officer can have it noted in their file. In those engagements, there is no um, likelihood of sale. It's purely an audit. And so there's a fee exchange for that because there has to be something documented or recorded for that. Um, so that's the only time we um, typically will would charge a fee in that engagement. We've looked at it from other sides um, and, and it, it would be great because it could even out some cash flow issues. It just is, we just can't figure out the appropriate amount to charge and what that model would really look like. And then, you know, in polling some of the advisors we work with, um, to be honest, I don't feel like they're as open. To, it, it's a, they're not as open to it because it's, they, they know they can get it for free somewhere else. One of the reasons I, I've thought about it is my, my last firm, you know, most of my time was spent working with clients, but a small portion of my time, I was sort of the internal tax knowledge center. Um, and I and I just received so many questions around tax. And I would think, you know, there's probably a market for this. Um, if you hung yourself out as like the tax person or the insurance person uh, to, you know, a hundred different firms that maybe didn't have the resources to hire them internally, or, you know, they would pay X amount of month. But anyway, j- j- just, just a... Uh, a thought. I, w- I want to jump back a little bit to your some of those in- investments you you made in yourself professionally. Uh, a, I'm super impressed by that. Um, but as far as are there any ways that you've invested in yourself personally? And you know, some examples are maybe like you know, physical health, mental health, relationships, anything like that. Yeah, I feel like that's the other side of the coin, right? In in all of our worlds it can be, it, it's difficult to keep the balance between work life and, and personal life. Um, you know, I've, I have two young children now and, and I, you know, do my best to hopefully be a good father to them and a good role model to them. Uh, and of course, maintain my, you know, practice at the same time. So I, I, yes, I do a lot of time. I do spend a lot of time, my physical health, um, as I've gotten older and, um, the injuries that I, took on as a as an athlete are taking their toll on my body um, I've had to adjust those I can't work out as hard I can't um, do it as intense so I do more yoga these days um, I do more meditation type stuff I do like to go out and get a run and still like to lift weights but those are a lot less now than they used to be just because my body just has a harder time handling those um, so but it's also a huge stress reliever for me um, to get out and exert some energy and push, you know, uh, basically, you know, 
clear my head and re and refocus. Um, so that that's big. You know, I still enjoy you, you know books and podcasts that you know keep me grounded and keep me motivated and hopefully help me think differently about certain things. Uh, you know, whether they're self help books, whether they're sales books, whether they're technical books. Um, you know, it's, and I also still love hearing stories about entrepreneurs. I love hearing about how they build a business and the struggles they go through for two reasons. One, they tend to give me some good ideas. And two, it's just nice to hear people that have gone through certain things as an entrepreneur that I feel like I'm going through on a daily basis. So it's good to get that feedback and just, okay, there's, I'm not the only one dealing with this. They, a lot of other people have had to deal with it. So it's just kind of, it's a help. Um, and then, you know, family relationships, um, you know, to maintain that, um, foundation, my wife and I, I, you know, we're we're not perfect in in our relationship. No relationship is, but one of the things I felt like I've always felt we did done really well is communicate. So we talk a lot about things that are challenging us and things that are not just personally or between us or with the kids. And, and so, and we, if there's something bothering us, we, we get it out of the way. We go right at it and knock it out and, and it may not be comfortable, but we try to, and it helps because in this world where we, there's so many pressures coming from clients and advisors and kids and family and everything like that. I just, it's hard to continue to live when you're hold, you know, holding on to something, especially between your partner. Um, it just adds another layer of stress that I feel like is, is difficult and, and just not worth it. Again, not perfect. We still do it. No, no human being is perfect, but it's something we've worked really hard on to eliminate that from our lives so that we can focus on work because she is a working professional too. And she's very good at her job as well. So, um, it's, you know, those are all little tricks that we've learned, um, and always looking for more, um, you know, between business coaches, I've talked to business coaches. I, I still, like utilizing business coaches because just another voice to inject reason into maybe a thought process, either validating or denying something you should be doing. So many questions. So it uh, sounds like your friends have not convinced you to buy a Peloton yet. So good, good for you. No, haven't, haven't gotten that. Um, also you look at your house every once in a while and you're like, where the heck would we put that thing? Um, and it gets hot in Texas. It's not going in my garage. I, I don't want to, I want to work out. I don't want to kill myself. So, <laughs> so, and you're, uh, so you have two kids, you have, um, two daughters or a daughter and a son, two girls, um, they're how, how six old? and three, six, six and three. three. And, um, <clears throat> how much joy do they bring you? It is. Awesome. I think the greatest joy, well, and you're a parent yourself, that there's moments where you're like, holy cow, because of course, kids are also stressful. Um, They're their own human beings. They have their own thought process and they have their own ways of doing things, right or wrong. Um, And you're trying to guide them and coach them and help them. And um, my wife and I are very a personality drivers and focused and everything like that. And, and well, my oldest daughter is a little bit more laissez-faire and a little bit more artistic. Um, so it can be challenging for my wife and I to look at her and go, wow, what is she planning to do here? But that's her way of doing things. Um, so you want to foster that. Um, but it, it can be challenging for somebody with my personality. But there's moments that, you know, when they pick up something and learn something and you see them completely embrace it and completely look and then give you that look of, I know this now. Holy cow, I understand this. Um, my oldest daughter, she's learning to read and learning bigger words, uh, riding her bike, 
um, you know, those things are really cool. And then my littlest one, she is a pistol and a firecracker. Um, she is the cutest thing in the world. And, but man, she can, you know, push you because she's got a little bit of her and her mom or, or her mom and me in her. Um, but man, when she's been, she's learning how to swim right now and she's figuring that out, it, it's a lot of fun to do that. And a lot of fun to just watch. Um, and then they're girls. Um, I'm dad right now. I, I, I still believe I'm really cool to them. I know it will go away, but right now I'm still really cool to them. Uh, when they get home and we haven't seen each other in a few hours, just the excitement and the hugs and the, you know, daddy, I missed you. And, and those are um, special moments because um, I know at some point it will end. Um, but it's it's fun to see still at their age. Well, I get a big smile on my face listening to you because I uh, I agree. I mean, there's no better feeling than coming home and you know getting attacked um, at the you know at the front door by by, by the kids, uh, or in your case when when they get home uh, and you're and you're greeting them. Uh, there's no no better feeling. It's tough to describe. Yes, there are. Uh, yeah, uh, many pain points, but when when that happens, it's easy to forget um, the rest. Yeah, I agree. You mentioned um, a few books and podcasts and, and a couple of different types. Are any not to put you on the spot? Any um, sure. favorites or any sort of go tos as far as that is concerned? Yeah, the podcasts are big. I mean, especially this day and age, right, where life has gone fast and 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 moving at a at a at an interesting pace, especially with COVID and, and your kids are home more because um, they're trapped too, right? And there's not, so it's, it's hard to kind of have that moment where you can sit and read a book for 30 minutes even. Um, so listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, right now, my favorite podcast is uh, it's, uh, How I Built This and the host is a guy named Guy Raz. Um, I, I, every morning when I'm walking the dog, um, that's, you know, I, I turn, turn that on and listen to, you know, hopefully 20 to 30 minutes of the, of the podcast, They're usually about an hour long. Um, and that's, they're focused on just entrepreneurs and, and you hear all the struggles they went through and how they built the business, their business. Um, and it's all across the board of the, of the business types. I mean, some businesses that I, business models that I, I didn't think that I would in, be intrigued by at all. There's a lot, you know, they've done some on like female skincare lines and they've like, that's no, not really intriguing to me because well, I don't use that stuff. But then just hearing how they built it and where their background is, it, they've, they've been a lot of fun. So that's a really cool podcast that I've been um, listening to a lot. Um, books, um, mostly, you know, lately it's been, you know, some more like self-help type books um you know the one book that i, I read a few years ago called the go giver um when i was getting into this it, it's about a give to get philosophy in, in sales um it it became another aha moment of how you serve people and it comes back around and i know that there's no it's very difficult to quantify scientifically and mathematically about you give this much and but the pro the the thing about that is you can't go into it with that mentality. And that was a really cool book that was eye opening to me of you can't look at it every time that you give something you're expecting a return and just you just have to do it and trust. Um, and if that's your personality, it will work out really well. But if it's not your personality, it, don't do this this way. You have to figure out your own model. So it, that was a really good book. Um, trying to think here, uh, another author. Uh, Patrick Lincioni um, has been a really good author. It, it's more around consulting type businesses. Um, you know, those are great. 
uh, before kids, I got to read just personal books for fun, whether they're um, history or um, just great novels, the Dan Brown books and things like that. I have to be honest, I, I don't have time for those anymore. I, I, I look forward to a day where I can pick those up again, but unfortunately, I haven't been able to read those as much. So, I mean, hey, you got a, a business, uh, a wife, a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a dog, it sounds like. So... I, I I don't think you're alone there. Don't don't worry about that. <laughs> Thanks. And and um, I wanted to ask about business coaches. So do you you currently work with a business coach, or you have in the past? I have in the past. Um, I don't have one right now. Um, I, I we I had one. We my wife and I we met in Arizona. Uh, the last team I worked for was uh, I worked in the front office for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And then I started my insurance career out there. And so my wife is from there. So we lived there for a while. Um, so we just recently got back to Austin within the last year um, to be around family and, and get that foundation going in the other direction. So I had a coach out in Arizona. And since we've moved back to Austin, um, things have been a little busy with, um, you know, the firm and, and moving and getting family settled. That I haven't quite found somebody here yet. Um, and that's okay. I, I feel like I'm, I don't feel lost right now. Um, I'm not saying that when I met the coach, I was lost. I just felt like I needed some direction, some guidance, and that they were, she was great at helping me with that. Um, but right now, I don't really have one. Um, I'm open to it. Um, it just isn't a huge priority for me today. But the biggest thing that I've liked about a coach, and, and there's so many flavors of coaches out there. There's, um, you know, there's some that help with like just positive outlooks on life. There's some that actually dig into the business and will help coach you on that stuff. I, I just, for me, it was around some, finding something that fit what I was looking for. Um, and it's like a trainer. Um, you, a lot of people know how to work out or what they should be doing in the gym or how they should be eating that, you know, it's pretty simple from a conceptual perspective, but then when you actually have that trainer, that's actually picking on little things that you do on a daily basis that you don't realize that you're doing that refine you and mold you a little bit and just kind of help you get there a little bit faster that's where I've seen the power of a coach um, because you get lost in your own head trash um, through this process and you buy your own BS a lot of times too. And sometimes those coaches are great at calling you out on it and saying, Hey, th that doesn't make any sense. Stop doing that. And here's the 10 reasons why you shouldn't be doing this anymore. And I know it's going to be hard, but we're going to spend the next two weeks getting you out of that habit. Um, and that's where it's been great to have those people in the past and why I've been a proponent of it. I know that certain people have different opinions about it, um, but for me, I've always looked at them as, as essentially like a trainer. If I if I need to go to the gym and get in better shape, I'd hire a trainer. This is the same, they're doing the same thing for me just on the business side. I'm completely biased, but I completely agree. And, you know, one example that I, I've i used before is, you know, it's just, it's tough to identify, you know, you, everybody has blind spots. And I can't tell you how many times I've, reviewed an email before I've sent it maybe, you know, 10, 25 times. And then I send it and then I look at it again and I misspell the word or I wrote the same word three times in a row. It's like, how did I do that? I looked at it so many times, but, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a comforting spot when you realize, Hey, Hey, I have blind spots. Um, it, it there's value in having an outsider assist you uh even if even if you know more than them <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah and it's what i've learned too with the coaches especially is 
you, you may know more than them in your space, but they may know something more than you in their space. And that's over time. And, and it's hard because um, you grow in your career and, and you become a subject matter expert in your field. And but you have to I believe you still have to be very careful of your vulnerabilities that you may not know other worlds as well as somebody else. And so it's always great to do as best as you can. And I, I, I try as hard as I can to go in open minded and thinking under trying to understand where they're coming from, because they probably are a subject matter expert in their space. And I better appreciate that or I better try and understand that before I inject too much of my thoughts and beliefs. Um, and and don't be respectful of their position on this. And it happens a lot in the insurance business um, because a lot of advisors, especially the only ones, unfortunately um, have a bad connotation when it comes to insurance and and the commissions. And and a lot of it, unfortunately, comes warranted um, because of the way products have been pushed and sold and, and distributed out to the marketplace. And so it's important for me to understand with the advisors that we work with, like, okay, what's your feeling on this? How do you, you know, look at this, you know, what's your view of the ball? And then how do we potentially be a fit or not a fit? And that's okay. Um, But it's, they have an expertise in something back to the coaches. They have an expertise in something and it may not, it may sound goofy to you and me because we're experts in another area. But as I learned with my first coach, I, I got I, I got a I had a great appreciation for her skill set because she taught me things that I didn't even know were going on with me because of the way that she was an expert at looking at some of the stuff that I was doing. Yep. If you have time and I'll put I'll put this in the show notes, there's a an incredible podcast episode on this topic. It's uh the Michael Lewis podcast called Against the Rules. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. the episode is called The Coach in Your Head. It's uh, it's an incredible listen. I, I won't spoil it anymore, but I, I can send you a link after. Okay, yeah, that'd be great. So one uh, another question on sort of personal investments, and I'd, I'd love to jump into baseball for a little bit. So if I gave you money and time over the next, we'll say one month or a couple weeks, how is there a way that you would allocate that? Uh, as far as you know, you can't. Uh, invest it in, in stocks. You can't you know, yeah. pay, pay off your mortgage. You'd have to sort of spend it towards growing yourself as a, as a person or as a professional. Um, is How would you spend that? Money and time. Okay. Um, first, I would hire a trainer for my for working out um, just to have it's something that I've, I've had earmarked for a while now. And I want that back in my life just to help um, keep things moving forward in that direction. Um, so that, that would be the be first, uh, the time perspective would definitely be with the family. Um, and I know it's hard for everybody right now because we're all being told to stay home and, um, go too many places, but remove COVID from this time away with the family where I don't have to, you know, look at emails. I don't have to think through things. I can just actually focus on them. That is probably one of the things that I, um, struggle with the most is you know the distraction of work when it comes to time with the family um i i I, it bothers me um i know it's difficult to get over um but it 
is something that I, I, I would like to find ways to be better at. So that, that the time thing, the money thing, there are things in this business from a marketing perspective that are evolving that I would love to hire somebody to help with um, from, you know, digital marketing components to um, looking at ways to help advisors with analyzing products, building out software platforms to help create presentations. If you're, you're looking at a design from an insurance perspective, just like the investment advisor world has done with the, you know, e-moneys and money guy pros and all the stuff that are at your fingertips now that the insurance world, to be honest, is just behind on. I would love to invest time and money on figuring out more of that. Um, not to bash my industry, but the carriers have a very difficult time working on that stuff because they know what they know where their money is made, and they know that distributing the product is the, is priority number one. And they lean on entrepreneurial consulting firms to build out the new process and then bring it to them. Um, so I wish we had more time and resources to go work on those projects. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff that we could do to help clients be and give them better products and better delivery systems. Um, it's just, now you got to actually get the resources to put it all together. Great answer. And I like the yeah. three, three pronged answers or your, you know, your physical health, your, your relationships and also your business. Um, so I would love, I would love to chat a little bit about baseball. I'm sure anyone listening, uh, you know, may, may be interested. I've heard some of your story, I've uh, done a little homework, and I think it's uh, it's a fascinating story. So maybe we can start. Um, you know, we could we could be somewhat quick, uh, brush over a couple of topics, but we could be you know start from the beginning. I, I guess we mentioned recruiting, getting recruited to Texas. So were you at Texas for? I know it's common for players, uh, college baseball players specifically, to play. Uh, college baseball for three years. So were you there for three or four years? I was there for three, uh, fortunate enough to get drafted after my junior year. So yeah, and, and for the and for those that that don't know, unlike other sports, uh, if you go to a four year university for baseball, you cannot get drafted after your first or second year. Uh, you have to wait until your third year. Is that right? Yes, for 98% of it, there is one little out if you turn 21 after your second year of college. Um, but that's so rare because most, you know, most kids are, you know, they don't turn 21 until their junior year of college. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's rare, but funny enough, we'll have another guest on this show that uh, fell into that uh, criteria. So uh, that's fun. it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, but yes, it's yeah, extre so extre extremely <laughs> rare. Um, so what was like, what was that like getting drafted? I mean, I know I see you got drafted in the eighth round. I know with baseball, I don't know how many rounds there are. I think there's like 50 or something. So it sounds like I would guess you were pretty sure that you were going to get drafted if you were picked that high. Yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting experience. You know, it was, um, going into that season, I was a, a, I wasn't a top prospect because I, I didn't, I'm barely six feet tall. Um, I don't throw 95 miles an hour, didn't throw 95, that's in the past, but I was a polished college pitcher and left-handed and did some things pretty well. Um, had a good resume, played at a big university, was fortunate and blessed to play for Team USA in college and represent our country. Um, so I had some things on the resume stacker that prompted me to be a, a, 
a decent prospect. However, my junior year of college, I, I got hurt and missed good chunk of the season um, because I had a ligament issue in my elbow, which ultimately led to my first surgery, but it wasn't until a few years later. But we couldn't figure out what was wrong. And so I was supposed to go in the top, I don't know, three, four rounds. And, but I ended up slipping to the eighth. And so, yes, I was pretty confident I was going to get drafted, but to be honest, like it just, and not that it was anybody's fault. I just got hurt and I slipped. So it was a little bit of a letdown again, not because I was sitting there at the phone thinking I was going to go that high being injured, but I, you know, it was the expectation going into the season was higher than that. And so it was a little bit of a letdown first lesson, right. In this whole game, this whole process was, um, not to get your, you know, not to get too far ahead of yourself and focus on day to day and not, you know, cause that's what, I mean, it was a young kid and excited about everything. And so I did get ahead of myself and allowed me to be disappointed when I should have been just excited and for the opportunity. Um, but still got drafted. It's an immense, um, honor. Uh, the Montreal Expos, I was one of the last drafts uh, picks by them. Um, they only had, I think, two more years where they were in existence. Now, of course, they're the Washington Nationals. Um, and so it was, it's a cool little story that when my kids are older, the, they'll ask who would they expose that. And, you know, I get to say that I was a part of the organization that is no longer in existence um, the way that it was. So it was still really cool. And, and getting into pro ball was, I mean, that's the, that was the dream as playing professional baseball. So, once I started that journey and that ride, that's when it was to me just uh, so much fun. Uh, just uh, it's hard to describe. And so minor league baseball is a interesting thing, and may- maybe I'm lucky just from the area of the country I'm from. I feel like I I know a little bit more about it than maybe the the average person. But it's uh, I think professional baseball. It's unique. In a lot of ways, every sport is unique, but in in other sports, like we'll say football or basketball, if you're drafted and if you have a good or great you know, couple of months, like training camp or what have you, then boom, you're, you're in the show. Um, baseball, on the other hand, it seems like even if you're drafted extremely high, you... It doesn't matter if you have a good month or two months or, you know, you're going to have to perform for at least a season if you're at the top end. But but most people, have, they have to perform for, you know, two, three, four, five, six years and and all of the different levels of, of minor league baseball. I mean, there's not just, correct me if I'm wrong, there's not just single A, double A, triple A. You know, there's sort of like even, you know, there's like low, there's low A, there's high A, there's double A, you know, there's there's what four or five six levels that you have to get promoted through you know some people skip some levels but it's a you kind of have to you know it's a truly a merit based system I mean, you have to perform for years is you know, does that sound accurate that is accurate yeah i mean unless you're the king griffey juniors or the you know the the uber can't miss superstars right um even the Mike Trout of the world had to do a little bit of time in the minor leagues because he was 18 years old and he has to get seasoned a little bit before he gets to that level. Um, but you're right. I mean, it takes years to grind your way through, especially, you know, even for the prospects, like I was a prospect. I wasn't the top prospect, but I was a prospect. You still had to go years to get to the major leagues. And even when that call does happen, you're still not sure when it's going to happen because for me, 
I didn't make the team for the year in 2004 when I got called up. I didn't make the team out of camp. I, I was, they ended up choosing the veteran left-hander who had, you know, five, six, seven years of major league service time over me, a rookie to be, to start the season in the bullpen. He went up. It did not go well for him the first week. Um, and that's what happens in our game, right? You, it does, you wouldn't do anything wrong. You just had a bad week and it just happened to be the first week of the season and they had to make a change. So, and then boom, somebody else got hurt and boom, I get a phone call and they're like, you're up your turn now. And you're just, because at the time it was, I was going in for my second start in AAA for the season. So we're a week into the season. You're not expecting it to be then. You're just starting to get into a groove. You're starting to figure out where you're going to live for that. You know, in I was in AAA, I was in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. I was trying to get it settled into my apartment. I was trying to figure out where the heck the ballpark was. You focus on those things, and all of a sudden you get a phone call, and everything just changes. You got to pack up your stuff and drive up to Boston. Like, oh, well, all right, here we go. Um, which is exciting and fun and great, but at the same time. Um, it happens on a, on a whim and you're, you, you, and it's good to not be focused too much on it because if you are, you're going to lose sight of the moment, um, which is hard as a young kid, you're trying to, you want to be excited, but you, you can't lose sight of that. But yeah, it's a grind. Um, and the minor leagues are not the most glamorous place to be, um, staying in a lot of really bad hotels and a lot of really bad food, not making any money. Um, uh, but at the same time, you're one of a very few select group of people that get the opportunity to continue a dream to play in the major league. So it's, you know, I didn't, it wasn't a huge issue for me. Um, now at my age, um, now going back to some of those hotels that we stayed in, there's no way I'm stepping foot in any of those. Um, but when you're 23, 24, 25 years old and you don't know any different, um, it's, it, you just get, you just have a lot of fun with the guys and the memories and, and um, you know, just the moment of it all. So when you got, when you got the call up to the big leagues, like what was that like? Was it like, I mean, did they cause someone call your cell phone? Was it your agent? Was it your coach, your manager that, you know, called you into the office? Like what, what was that like? It was, um, so we were in Rochester, New York. I was starting that night against the trip, the twins, triple A team. And it was raining. It's, it's April. You're in Rochester, New York. The weather's terrible. It's cold. It's wet. Uh, you know, it, all up and down the East Coast and, and or all up the Northeast Coast. Um, in that time of year, it's, it's just not the greatest weather. Um, so I was sitting in my hotel room because the starting pitcher for the night gets to go to the, the field late because there's not a whole lot to do. They just don't want to sit around. So they get to go a late arrival. So I'm sitting in the hotel room, just hanging out, um, waiting for you know to, to take the bus over to the field and all of a sudden my cell phone rings i don't recognize the number i don't pick it up because it's game day i'm not you know not taking any random calls i'm trying to get ready for the start and then all of a sudden my hotel room phone calls and i'm like okay i guess i gotta pick this up i don't know who this is so i pick up the phone it's my manager from the team say hey you gotta get to the field we gotta get you up to boston and that was it and click that's it um, oh, get all your stuff. Um, so back to your suitcase. And I hang up the phone and there's that moment where you're like, wait a second, did I just get called up to the big leagues? Is that how, you know, and you're like, that's how I found out. You, you kind of do this like, wait, that you, you're expecting this like great moment and that's it. That That's how you find out. And so I call my dad and real quick, like, hey, 
hang with me for like an hour or two. I got to get to the ballpark, but I think I just got called up to the big leagues. You guys might want to start looking at flights to Boston because that's where we're going. That's where the major league team is going to be for the next week. Um, and I said, but trying to get too excited yet, because I don't know for sure <laughs> is my speech to my dad trying to set his expectations. And so I get to the ballpark and all of a sudden you walk in and everybody comes up and says, Hey, congratulations. They start shaking your hand and saying, congratulations. And you're like, Oh, S-H-I-T, um, this is happening. This is real. Um, so I walk in the manager's office. He gets, stands up, shakes my hand, says, congratulations. Um, you get your stuff. We got to get you to the airport. You got a flight here in about two hours from Rochester back to back to Boston. Um, and, and that's it. Um, and then the funny part about this, and this is just a typical of the way baseball goes. So I call my family, tell them they're booking their flights and all that stuff. I get to the airport. And the back to the story, the weather being bad, all my flights were delayed for hours. I ended up staying in airport for probably four or five hours waiting to just get out of Rochester, New York, um, just to get back so that I can get to Boston. Um, and so you have this huge high, right? And you're like, holy cow, let's go. Let's get on this plane. Let's get to the ballpark and all this stuff. And you realize it ain't happening tonight. You're hanging out in the airport for the next few hours. <laughs> and so um, it was it was like, this is difficult. I ended up having to find phone chargers because my battery was dead, all that fun stuff, and trying to find my luggage. And it just was a classic baseball story of just what those moments are. Um, and, and as you can tell, I mean, it was, uh, that was 2004, 2016 years ago. I, yeah, I can recall it like it was yesterday. Um, but it was a great moment. Uh, my parents actually beat me to Boston, and I was in Rochester. They were coming from Austin, Texas. They beat me there. They got their flights and got on planes and got there before I did from Rochester, New York. <laughs> so, such, such a good story. And, and that's funny how it's like, wait, that's how that happened? You, you know, you've been dreaming about it for maybe, you know, your whole life. It's almost, you know, you're dreaming about getting uh, proposed to or something. And then it's like something totally uneventful. It's like, wait, that, that was it? You know, that it's a. The, yeah. That's um no I I love that story and I was uh, I'm lucky enough to have heard uh, bits and pieces of, of that before but it's you know I'm I'm over here uh, I got a big, big smile on my face and so that was 2004 and again first anyone that doesn't know that you know Boston Red Sox 2004 that was their curse breaking World Series year that was um, you know that team was completely stacked and I think the uh, the year before, it was potentially looking like they were going to break the, what, 86 or 85 year at the time curse. Um, and it, it slipped, it totally slipped away. So 2004 was the curse breaking year. Um, so you were up there, you, you pitched a couple games and it, it looks like that first week, uh, we can uh, skip over the, the first outing, but I, I would love to if you could highlight a little bit that, that second outing you had, it's just, uh, it seems like such a, you know, unique moment. That is, that's the surreal moment um, for any baseball player. I don't care what your feelings are about certain teams and certain, um, you know, depending on where you grow up, right? I mean, you, you're from the Bay area. Um, you may have a dog and a five between the giants and the A's um, at your team. 
Uh, you may be from the Midwest and the, the Cardinals are your, the Cubs, whatever. And you may hate an opponent because you grew up rooting. And, but when you're playing, you, you can't control who you get drafted by unless you're that good. Um, and there's very few people who are. Um, you can't control who you get called up by. And so you just kind of, but for me, getting called up by the Boston Red Sox and going to Fenway Park, uh, you know, playing in that historic stadium, there's not really, there's, there's, there's only a couple of the ballparks at the time. Old Yankee stadium was still around. So that's another one. You have Wrigley field, of course, so there's iconic teams and iconic ballparks to walk in. So my second outing was against the Yankees and it was having to be the first time we were playing them since Boone hit the home run in game seven of the ALCS the year before. So it's Friday night and we are the baseball game of the week. Um, and for nationally televised, this is my first couple of days in the big leagues. And we're playing the Yankees. And, you know, before you know it, I'm out there in the outfield. Left field, I remember out there hanging out with a guy named Ellis Burks, who's a 20-year veteran in the major leagues. And I'm just sitting out there talking to him and just BSing and, and just take, trying to take it all in. And before you know it, Derek Jeter comes by to say hi and we sit there and talk. And then the next superstar comes over to say hi and we sit there and talk. And I'm not saying a word because I'm a rookie. I'm just keeping my mouth shut trying not to get in trouble. Um, but I'm now I'm starting to realize like, holy cow, I'm in the middle of Fenway Park with all these people watching. And we're just casually having a conversation with Derek Jeter. Um, this is completely surreal right now. So fast forward a couple days later, uh, Sunday, Derek Lowe starting and he just you know, just has a bad day. He, he got knocked out real early. And, and before you know it, the manager's looking at us rookies and basically saying, it's your game. You guys got to finish this. got to save our bullpen, our veterans for the, you know, the next day. And so he, there were two of us and ended up being a third, but there are two of us that ended up were tasked with finishing the game. And so I came in, I think in the fourth, fifth, maybe. Um, shoot, I don't even remember. Um, but went three and two thirds against the Yankees. Um, against that lineup with A-Rod and Giambi and Jeter and Bernie Williams and Posada and all those guys. Um, and Matsui was on that team. So they, they were stacked. There were some big boys on that team. Um, got through three and two thirds and no hit them for three and two thirds innings. Um, and, you know, so that was a big achievement for me. And especially to be in that moment and come in in that type of environment and that setting and then pitch really well, it, it, it carried weight within the organization. And I know that they saw me um, at a different level after that outing, just unfortunately for me um, to, you know, guy B, the guy came off the DL, his name was BK Kim. Um, and I got sent down and it's just the way it is. And then unfortunately I ended up getting hurt like three starts later in AAA and having to have surgery um, and missed the rest of the year. So um, it's just the way it is, but it, uh, what I thought was the beginning ended up being actually the start of the end uh, for the career. Yeah. And just to, again, preparing for this interview, I, I was doing my homework and I don't follow baseball at all really now, but at the time I did. And, and looking back through that outing, the, I mean, every player on that Yankee team was virtually a list. You know, I was looking back through your, at bats, it's like Jason Giambi twice, Gary Sheffield twice, Hideki Matsui twice, Jorge Posada twice, Derek Jeter twice, Bernie Williams, Alex Rodriguez. I mean, that is ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. Um, so it's, um, you know, you, you, you made it to the show and 
Um, you had a couple outings, zero, you know, zero hit uh, the Yankees for several innings. Uh, I don't think you gave up a run in your two outings. And, uh, and I think because it was 2004, they did give you a little, uh, you know, uh, you know, souvenir, right? Yeah. I would say they gave me, yes, I, I, uh, fell into souvenir out of the deal. So, it, um, I still remember, um, you know, because again, I didn't have a ton of major league service time, but I was on the team that won a world series and in, in baseball tradition, typically if you are a contributing member to a team, they do give you a ring. Um, but you don't know for sure, um, as a kid and, and you, it's awkward to ask, like, are we doing, you know, do I get one? How does this go? You know, all that fun stuff, because you're still low man totem pole and, and yeah, I contribute a little bit, but I wasn't like this key component of that world series run. Um, but I still remember I was, uh, doing physical therapy in Fort Myers, Florida, where our spring training site was and, um, getting ready and, and, um, running into, somebody from the organization and he said, Hey, you got to get over to this building. We're sizing for our rings. You got to go get size for your ring. And it's that other surreal moment in your life. You're like, Holy cow, I'm getting a world series ring. Oh my goodness. And then you go in and you get your ear to ear with the, you know, Jostens was the, the organization that, that made our rings and common with class rings and stuff like that. You sit there with the Jostens people and they're, they're sizing you for a ring. And they're getting it ready for you, and, and it's you walk out of there, and then you know you got about three or four weeks uh, before opening day, and that's when you get in your ring. Um, so it's pretty cool, a pretty cool feeling. And then of course they were so generous; they um, allowed me to be a part of opening day, even though I was, I was hurt and doing physical therapy. I got to walk out on the field and and receive my ring from the ownership group and stand on the field just like everybody else did. Um, just really cool moments um that you look back on and um you, you i smile about to this day and hopefully my kids will want to hear about but yeah i know they're kids and they may not care <laughs> so yeah and so that, that, that's a decent uh decent segue i mean when the phil i know is not you know red sox phil or baseball phil it's you know you really prioritize it's you know family and and professional basically is is the the, the feel I know you're you're take your relationships very seriously and you take your business and the insurance world and the service you provide very seriously and so is it is it hard at all to um, sort of put that those experiences in the rearview mirror or or not at all and then that's what it is you kind of have it in your back pocket you look back fondly on on those times but you're but you're sort of focused on the now and and the for moving forward that's a great question um it i love I, I love the my memories from the past i i they've helped make me the person that i am today and i love sharing the stories um i never want them to come across as braggadocious but it's also but i also understand that people like to hear those things because i i've been fortunate and blessed to be able to have experiences that 99.999% of the people in this country don't get to have the experience of. Um, so I, I enjoy sharing them just because they're still fun stories to share. Um, but I do lose sight of those things. And I also believe I can't get hung up on those. I unfortunately have people that I know that used to be former players that 
believe certain things should be handed to them because they were really good at one thing. They were a really good baseball player. And what I've learned in life is I, it's great. It's a great springboard into the next thing that you're going to get into, but it is by no means a meal ticket that everything else in life is going to work easily or well for you because you were good at that one thing. And I think, um, uh, you know, unfortunately a lot of former players get trapped in that and it's, it can be easy to do because if you think about a lot of the, especially players that were a lot better than I was, they've been coddled all their life. They've been told from day one that they're better than everybody else at this one thing and that they've been um, idolized and put up on pedestals. And, and so it, it, it creates this machine and this animal inside of them that they feel like everything should be like that. And it, although it's a really cool and a really great perk and, and a really great offering, it shouldn't be what they sh- they should be focused on. And, and I say that because it, I say it out loud because it is also a way that I try and keep my own ego in check at the end of the day. If I say it out loud and say it in, to other people, then I better hold myself accountable to that and not let that happen to me. So it's, but I, it is difficult. Um, in, in, but at the same time, using it for springboarding. So I, here's how I use my career now. I use it to, to have conversations I, I, that's in, and to open up doors and to be able to talk to people and to be able to get engaged with somebody that's not about maybe what I did or do now today, but then it opens them up so that we can have a conversation about what I do. Um, I love using it for that tool. Um, and I, because it also gives me a chance to talk about what I did, what I did in the past. Um, but today, yeah, it's definitely focused on, what am I at today and what do we need to be going toward the future? Um, and I can't just rest on my laurels because the world doesn't care. Um, you know, my, it, it just doesn't care. Um, so you just got to keep moving. Yep. No, and I, and I bring that up because, you know, if I didn't give you a heads up that that's something people would like to hear about, then we could, we would have had a, an entire conversation without you mentioning it. And that's how most, most of the conversations are. So, I agree. I, you know, I've, I've seen people uh, and, you know, know people and when we've all been there where we're sort of hung up on certain accomplishments and for such an, you know, having such an exciting story yourself, being able to sort of, you know, put it behind you and, and you know, view it as it is. Uh, I think that that's pretty impressive. So so I'd love to move move on to the last last couple of questions here before I let you go. I know we're running a bit long here. Um, sure. So if you were had your own show or your own hour of time to interview anybody dead or alive, who would it be? For me, this does go back to my past. Um, uh, Sandy Koufax. Um, you know, it's, he, I, he played before I was able to watch him live, but you know, he's, for those who don't know, it's any Koufax, a left-handed, one of the greatest left-handed pitchers of all time. Um, and just, I've heard stories about how good he was and read books and, you know, about him and his playing career. Um, and it just, he's been somebody I've always looked up to as far as, um, you know, just done something that I could never achieve at the end of the day. And so it doesn't have to be an interview. It would just, even if it was just having a beer or a cup of coffee to get to talk to him and hear the stories personally, 
and go through what was this like would you mind explaining to me this experience you had when you were coming through and walk me through this no hitter walk me through that game um you know just to hear it personally from him um would be a, an unbelievable experience i've had the pleasure of meeting him um but it was just a you know passing you know great to meet you thank you so much you know all that i to be honest i, I was like a little kid i got his autograph um i was 25 years old and but to get the chance to sit down and talk to him that would be a, an unbelievable experience for me um just as somebody i've always looked up to so flipping it around uh to me it's 6 30 7 in the morning you're you're taking your dog for a walk you're plugging in for a podcast if you were listening to this show is there anyone in particular you would like to listen to that is not sandy koufax a great question um you know i mentioned dan allison earlier i, I think that he would be a, a phenomenal guest uh for your show for two reasons one he you work with so many advisors across the country and he consults them on a referral-based practice. His business is is a great thing for advisors to um, to know about and to know how to do certain things. But one of the coolest things about him is his background in clinical psychology. So he's he's an unbelievable asset on just helping people look through things and think through things. He's one of the most gifted people I've ever talked to about perspective and looking at things in different ways and and I'm taking in all these different um, points of view, putting it all together and saying, okay, here's what I think, here's what this would go. And it's not him prognosticating from the mountaintop. It's just him taking somebody through a conversation. If you've ever seen him speak live, it's just a conversation. He's one of the most gifted speakers I've, I've seen and his ability to do that and be able to think off the cuff and go. Um, I, he'd be a great podcast guest. I know he's been on Kitsis before and um, and that was a, um, it was about six, eight months ago and it was a very well received podcast, but that, that would be somebody that I think the listeners would, would enjoy because there's the correlation between what we all do today, but also getting his perspective on just life and how, um, the personalities play into consulting clients and with that thought process, I think that's something else that's very powerful in his message. I will have to look up Dan. I've I've heard the name. I I don't know much about him, so I'll I'll have to listen to that that podcast. Well, episode. I can help with that connection if you need me. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, I, 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 lo I love that. I love that. And so, if somebody wants to learn more about you or your firm, are there any areas online where they could find you, like website or social media? Yeah, I, I um, you, you know, obviously LinkedIn, um, Phil Seibel, um, S-E-I-B-E-L, my last name. You can find me on LinkedIn. Feel free to message me. I'd love to communicate. That's, you know, since we're so B2B, um, that's how a lot of advisors can initially get in touch with me. Of course, our website, um, collaborativeplanninggroup.com uh, is a good way to find us to meet the, there's a meet the team and information there to, to grab a hold of us. And not even just me, but my own, my entire team. Um, we, we get along really well. We work really hard. We have a lot of experts there. Um, you know, we, we believe firmly in the, let's build up this, you know, rising tides, rise all boats, right? Um, so any one of us on the team uh, would be a great resource. Um, but yeah, you can find me there or on my LinkedIn profile. I wish I could say I'm really good at Facebook or Instagram, but I'm not. Um, so um, it's just not, I, I think I'm a little bit beyond that generation to where I'm uh head down in that stuff as much. Well, hey, in a couple of years, you can uh, maybe hire your oldest daughter to help you out with that. 
That is a very scary thought, my friend. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, you're correct. She probably knows how to do it better than I do already. Yeah. So, uh, no, it's been great having you on. Any parting thoughts for our listeners? Uh, you know, you you teed me up with this one before this, and I, I thought about this one last night as I was getting ready for this. So first, thank you so much for asking me to do this. I, it, I really enjoy these things, and it's an honor, I feel like, to be asked um, that you found it what I do so interesting that you want to spend an hour and a half of your time. Um, but one thing that I learned playing that I've worked really hard to transition into this career. When I got to the major leagues, I realized I was a certain type of player. Um, I was not the guy who's going to be able to stand on the mound and say, I'm going to throw this fastball right by you like I could in my younger years. Um, so I had to be really focused on my strengths minimize my weaknesses, meaning don't expose my weaknesses. So um, what I really worked hard on was focusing on what I did really well and perfecting that as much as possible. And on my weaknesses, I paid attention to them. I worked on them, but I worked on minimizing the exposure on the weaknesses. In my practice today, I've taken the same thing to heart. Um, my, you know, I really enjoy engaging with people and figuring out and getting creative with solutions. And that's a strength of mine. Some of my weaknesses revolve around, um, you know, backend processing stuff that I'm just not as great at. And so, um, I really focused hard on and doing more of getting that off of my plate and letting people who are skilled at that to take that over and not micromanage the process. So hiring that out basically and entrusting those people to do their job. Um, I know it's difficult in all of our world because we want to control it and we want it to be perfect and we want it to go really, really well. But the more I have focused on finding, helping get the right talent to do what they do well so that I could focus on what I do well, I've just seen growth in what I've done. Um, and so it's all the way back to baseball. That's where I started to learn that. And I feel like um, taking that on more and more in my practice today, it's helped me. It's one, it's also helped my stress level because those things that I'm not very good at, they stress me out. And because I'm not that good and I know it and I need to get them off my plate. Um, but it, the, I wanted to make it perfect and, and learn and all that stuff. I, but the more that I've helped to have team members help me with that stuff, I've had actually weight come off my chest doing it that way. That's some gold right there. So sort of double down on your strengths, but minimize exposure to your weaknesses. Yeah. And just trust people, you know, trust people to help that most people are in it. I, I am, I'm confirmly convinced most people in this world are there and they truly do want to help. There are very few people that are manipulative and are trying to take advantage of them. Um, and so, mo you know, trying to have that perspective um, and try, I think is the operative word because we, I fail at it all the time. Um, but trying to keep that perspective um, is, is, is important. And again, it's, it's again, it's taking anxiety and stress off my plate because of I'm not so focused on having everything to be perfect and needing to control the whole process and just allowing people that are on are in our firm that do really good work to do their job um, and let and then prop them up and make them feel good about that instead of, you know, potentially putting them down. That's a great note to end on. So thanks again, Phil, for um, joining us. I think the listeners are going to are going to enjoy it. They're going to learn a lot about you and the services you provide and uh, hopefully uh, uh, smile a few times because I, I know I did. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you again.
Thanks again for listening to today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. All of the show notes and links can be found at personalequitypodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to share it with a friend or leave a review. Reviews help the show get noticed. The best places to leave a rating or a review are iTunes or Spotify. Mike Troxell owns Modern Financial Planning. All opinions expressed by Mike or guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Modern Financial Planning. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions.